0: On our year-end podcast, we usually focus on the newsmakers in the broadcast, podcast, tech, and streaming space. But this year, Broadcast Dialogue and our parent company, Momentum Media Marketing, are closing the year with a huge internal move, as James Wallace, the digital strategist who has been the backbone of the company for the last 12 years, returns to the agency world. We're happy to say we've recruited Jeff Lush as our new director of digital media, who leaves a similar position at Rogers Sports and Media after 16 years. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome both digital experts to debate the state of the industry, predictions for the new year, and more. So some of those listening might only have a vague idea of what we do at Momentum because broadcast dialogue is just one piece of the business. James, do you want to start by talking about the scope of what your work has encompassed over the last 12 years? Because it's a lot.
1: Um, Wow. Um, Well, we uh, deal with probably every major broadcaster in North America Uh, at some point Every broadcaster in North America will touch us one way or another, whether that's for some sort of uh, marketing services, uh, whether it is for some kind of inclusion in broadcast dialogue, whether that's uh, advertorial or, or unpaid media. Or whether that's um, uh, syndicated uh, content that they are either trying to sell or buy, as well as we deal with uh, Radio Player Canada. So we essentially, again, touch every broadcaster in Canada uh, from the smallest, like Moose in Fort St. John, to the biggest at like Rogers and, and Pattison and Chorus and those guys, and um, everything in between. And You know, as a broadcaster or someone trying to provide services to broadcasters, uh, if you want to get into the Canadian marketplace, one way or another, you're going to end up having to talk to us because we're your path into touching base with broadcasters in Canada if you're looking to sell them your services. So, that's the general overview.
0: Yeah, not to mention that you've been the director of digital for the Radio Player Canada app since 2016.
1: Since launch. So we launched it uh, in Canada and, you know, we've grown ever since. I think we're at five hundred and five hundred and forty 540 stations, I believe, are on there now. I can confidently say that uh, in those four years we've had no one leave. You know, some stations have uh, been bought up by other stations and then just wrapped into other station groups And um, that continues to grow. And I mean, realistically, Radio Player Canada, we hold everything broadcast streaming online, other than Bell properties. So yeah,
0: one of the byproducts of the pandemic has been the Great Resignation which, you know, a term that was coined this year, which included a lot of people in the media and broadcast space in which I think you too might know something about. Do you want to start, James, by talking about your decision to go back to your agency roots?
1: <laughs> it's just a different path. I'm looking to step out of doing hands-on production work as much, you know, it's technical, sort of the deeper technical dive stuff. And it was just an opportunity that came up, you know, smaller, well, it's not a small agency, but mid-sized agency. They're young, they're chasing uh, larger clients, and they need somebody who knows how to talk to the large scale clients, because they feel they can't fulfill that. And, you know, it was just an opportunity that came up, they hunted me down. And so, you know, away I go.
0: Right. A lot of people might not know that you know, prior to your work with Momentum, you did a lot of web interactive agency work and really were at kind of, uh, you know, the infancy of the Vancouver tech boom.
1: Yeah, I started working web-based work in 93, uh, pre-browser. <laughs> so a, a long time ago wow. and worked for a myriad of agencies, and did subcontract work for every big agency in Canada. Worked for every large scale brand in North America, uh, doing a lot of innovative work at the time because you know everything was new then. Not that everything's not new now, but uh, it was uh, when I started in agency work. We were still trying to convince prospective clients that having a website was actually worth doing. Because at that point, you know, people weren't really sure if the internet itself would be as popular as the fax machine.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to bring Jeff in on that note, because Jeff has been with Rogers for almost 17 years, starting out as a web producer back in 2005, which would have been when radio station websites were just barely a thing. Do you want to talk, Jeff, about your evolution through radio and and why you decided it was time for a change? Uh,
2: yeah. So um, my start in radio actually goes back a little further than than my uh, stint with Rogers. I was uh, actually I was a consultant uh, here in the Edmonton area, providing various services to technology interested uh, organizations and found myself doing some work with the OK Radio Group. What started out as a few projects turned into a few more and eventually grew into a full-time offering. And this was about the time when Sonic, was, Sonic 1029 was uh, just a little bit more than an idea. And so I had a, a really good opportunity to, to spend several good years with the team at OK Radio and also got to realize the construction of a major market station uh, right, like I say, right from its birth, uh, right through to throwing the switch on air, to visiting our lovely broadcast studios and transmitter sites uh, on the side of the highway on the Number Two Highway out here near Leduc. My start in radio, uh, like I say, predates Rogers uh, by a fair bit, and it, from a technology perspective, it's been really fun to see the technology unfold and develop, sort of right before my eyes and 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 at my fingertips. It's been a it's been an incredible ride so far had a a very very good run with with Rogers met a lot of really wonderful people worked alongside of some great folks uh some of those folks have moved on obviously other folks are still there and will continue to continue to run that ship but uh after gosh 16 years of the corporate world of of working you know in in that very well defined space um i find myself looking to go back to my my roots in a more free form way uh, and work in a more uh, brand agnostic format, meaning building solutions and coming up with ideas that would fit both across the board and much more niche areas
0: as well. Heading into this new gig, Jeff, what are your biggest takeaways from working in the broadcast sector for the last few decades through that digital transition that you're bringing to your new job with us?
2: You know, I think that one of the takeaways that I have from from my time in terms of the broadcast industry in general is, you know, we are a full step behind, I think, technology as it's available to, to broadcasters in other parts of the world. And it's something that I think requires some correction. You know, like I say... From my perspective, there's been a lot of growth uh, around leading edge technology. It always starts in the U.S. first, and I appreciate that. But I, I look forward to trying to make an impact in bringing some of that that technology to Canadian businesses much sooner than what I, what we're seeing today. That's probably the biggest takeaway I'll I'll, I'll bring to Momentum. That, and of course, uh, a lot of really fun ideas. I think.
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, Jeff. Working with you, James, has made me a better editor. And that's because of all the years I spent in news organizations, mostly radio based, you know, whether it's online or talent, my experience was that it's still rare for the actual digital strategists working behind the scenes to be part of the conversation at the execution level. And I know that you have a lot of thoughts on where the industry is at digitally, which I'm hoping you'd like to get off your chest. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't know if I should say anything. I would agree that with Jeff that the industry, the broadcast industry in Canada is one step behind, if not more. And I don't think that that was necessarily based around any lack of uh, savvy, business savvy. I think really what happened was that for a long time, broadcasts, both television and radio in Canada, was kind of resting on its laurels of being the only thing that people had access to. And then the internet became so pervasive in the day to day that a lot of these companies realized that they're in a position now where it's very difficult for them to catch up. And they have continued to concentrate their efforts on proprietary technologies and proprietary platforms and closed gar- walled garden streaming and all of this kind of stuff while everyone else has just passed them by. And it looks like finally that that has kind of perhaps passed by most broadcasters as far as a, a big concern. Maybe it's the, you know, a change in the age of, um, those people on the upper level of of management or whatever it may be that they've realized that their their only choice is to pretty much submit and and kind of um, become part of that content system as opposed to trying to oppose it or hold on to some kind of self-perceived intellectual property idea that you know it, it just it it's not doing them any favors it's not doing anyone any favors and you can see that from you know you you can see that from a talent that gets dropped from canadian broadcasting now in canada a lot of people they're not even going back to broadcasting now they're just going straight to the internet and they can look at how they can make money and create themselves uh, an audience without really having to worry about whether they're relegated to crtc regulations or the rules of what their broadcasters have chosen to give them on what they can broadcast on any particular platform they can do whatever they want and you know the they, those people are starting to see the rewards of doing that. And I think that that's come to light for a lot of the broadcasters in Canada as well.
0: One of the broadcast dialogue headlines from last month was that Canada is now holding at the 2 billion weekly audio streaming milestone. We passed the 50% digital radio tuning mark early in the pandemic last year. But it strikes me that there are still radio stations I encounter in the course of my writing that have very little digital presence. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and I think again i i and I, I mean, I'm sure Jeff has some input here. I think part of that, especially for the smaller market guys, is that they're really still concerned about the latest and greatest technology and what every other broadcaster is using to stream online and so on and so forth, as opposed to just doing it. just get it up, do it and and go with whatever they can afford to do and just get themselves streaming online and then you know, from there, they can see what kind of audience they're garnering and so on and so forth. That, and I think that for some stations and for some station groups, they have a fear of um, pushing themselves on to streaming online and then discovering that maybe nobody's listening.
2: I would agree with what, what James said. And I would like to add, I think that first of all, I think for the smaller the smaller brands, it's never really been easier or a better time to Make that transition into a digital space and grow your brand digitally. There are so many free or low-cost options to engage with your audience socially. It doesn't necessarily have to be live streaming all the time. It can, you know, be something as simple as uh, uh, social engagements through TikTok or or Facebook or any of the other, you know, widely available platforms. Digital streaming, uh, as you say, James, is is so accessible now. It's really easy to get plugged in you know low cost options bandwidth is is now you know dirt cheap by by all metrics and you know the the one thing that i that i find as a bit interesting is for those that don't see an opportunity to to make that transition or to continue their growth in a digital way the gap will grow between the smaller brands and the bigger ones it's interesting we were talking about how we we see talent in the broadcast world transitioning over to you know their digital space and, and digital only environments. And the same thing is now occurring in reverse with with the big broadcasters, where if you are a prospective talent that a that a big brand is pursuing or you're pursuing them, one of the first things they want to know is how much of an influencer are you in the digital space? What are your followers? Do you have you know that that traction digitally? They're not really as concerned, I think, these days with, you know, your, your, your on-air checks and, and, and how you represent yourself and, and carry your show, they're more interested in what you bring in terms of followers uh, to their brand. So, you know, as all of these sort of pieces come together, those brands that don't find a way to a digital space, I think will be find themselves even further behind as we go.
0: I completely agree, and we had this conversation yesterday during our weekly Zoom call. In this week's weekly briefing, there's a new hire, Maggie Pearson, who's going to Virgin Radio, who has a substantial TikTok following. I think it's over 130k. I, I'd like to touch on some more year-end headlines. I think we're all in agreement that the Rogers Shaw transaction, in whatever form it might take, is probably the biggest landscape changer. On the horizon for the industry in 2022, do either of you have any other predictions for the new year?
2: I, I don't have any real comment to make with regards to the Rogers and Shaw merger. I think that Canadians will will sort that out, uh, and and it will take whatever path, you know, the the government and, and Canadians at large choose. But as far as technology is concerned, and you know, sort of some of the things that I see coming up in 2022 uh, as important, especially as it relates to our conversation, or You know, things like continued growth and improvement in the smart speaker space. Um, I think this is kind of low-hanging fruit for for a lot of us. Um, And I think that we're going to see a a lot more refinement that will leverage greater engagement and collaboration uh, on these platforms. You know, and I'm thinking of things like listening parties and and song requests, trivia, games, quizzes, all of that sort of thing, to bring that sort of community engagement feeling that we love about traditional radio into that digital space into your device that sits on your desk whether it's just an audio device or a display device i also think you know that podcasting is is obviously going to continue to grow i mean there's you know we're inundated with podcasts of every shape and size for for every listener and every taste um but i think we're going to see a bit more consumption around short form audio and and how that's going to take hold much in the way that you know, short form video has has taken over uh, on, on these other social platforms that we see all the time. But I think the short form audio will come in the podcasting space in the way of an add-on or an exclusive item that you might have to pay to get, uh, maybe by way of subscription or by extra content. But I think that short form audio is, will fill that gap from a revenue perspective uh, and get people more engaged with the podcast that they love.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Jeff. I think not enough stations are taking advantage of you know putting their content out onto more platforms.
2: That's right. I think the fastest way to a revenue model is to, you know, just continue to to do what you do uh, and and it will gain traction.
0: I think there is a positive to it in that more of the talent are able to creatively express themselves, where maybe before they were handcuffed into a format, and now you're seeing a different side. Karis and Jeremy on the peak in Vancouver have done a lot of fantastic content since their morning show was launched over the summer, and we we've also talked about Lauren Hunter at Sonic in Edmonton, who is just a you know a fantastic comedic executor of just these great bits that she extends to social media. I like to see that people are being able to sort of exercise those creative muscles. I think one of the trends that definitely took hold in terrestrial radio this year was a doubling down on brand streamlining, especially on the part of Bell Media, which rebranded 25 stations under the bounce radio format alone. And there's also been this prevalence toward more networked morning shows across multiple cities so stingrays the breeze was one that now has a shared morning show coast to coast as of earlier this year brock and dalby are now on four rogers rock stations in ontario among many many other morning shows and there was also more consolidation of news, particularly at Bell media's news talk stations in Montreal and Toronto and the extended integration of the city news brand at Rogers between radio and television. Some of these feel like lifeline moves but others you know have been a clear signal that parent companies don't want to bleed money into the media divisions because ad revenue is continuing to recover. Do either of you have thoughts on this path. I, I think
2: for myself, there there are several positives to streamlining as you as you frame it, combining brands or, or outfitting them. There was a day, you know, when I was a, a young person a thousand years ago that I would listen to the radio and it was all about theater of the mind. I, I had no visibility into what the person I heard speaking looked like. I had no visibility into the environment in which they were working and and it was all about what i imagined in my mind and and th- 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 there was an interesting part of that that unfortunately i think is very much lost today because we have complete visibility into the entire operations of of any broadcaster that is prepared to put it out there what i find though is that you know as 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 well as a civilization really that sounds kind of corny but <laughs> you know we move around so much more now than we than we used to we're traveling everywhere we're connected digitally to to any brand worldwide and so what this streamlining of brands does for the business is it gives you a bit of a recognition so i'll use the rogers brands as an example if i'm a fan of a kiss brand in toronto for example i will encounter the same kiss brand in edmonton and the same kiss brand in vancouver and i think that that really helps to grow loyalty around that brand to know that you can go through you know, different cities across the country, and and still have that same connection to the brand that you love back home.
1: I question whether there's ad revenue recovery here. I don't think that terrestrial broadcasting is in as good a position as it may try to imply to try and garner new advertisers. All of the different factors that fell into that, with you know, heavy syndication of content and the joining of Brands across countries and the removal of sort of contextualized, localized pieces, I, I think personally, is just doing damage to what listener base that they may have in any particular city and is not truly going to garner a new listener. It's just going to maybe run the risk of removing those sort of legacy listeners because they become isolated and they're not happy with the fact that it's not truly local in their eyes for me it seems like an odd choice not a a choice that's going to reap them any reward (laughs) i think it's a desperation move honestly
2: ouch (laughs)
0: <laughs> how's that do you want to respond to that jeff
1: I, I see
2: it through a different lens you know like i say i i certainly appreciate you know the the business side of merging brands of uh of doing a sort of a syndicated model from a from a show perspective you know all of the things that we're seeing across the, the big players right now but again i do have an appreciation for the idea that these brands carry weight and they carry weight across you know the space in which they live and so if you can tap into the the weight of a brand and and the, the loyalty that it brings and try to transpose some of that into other markets i think that there's enough going on on the tech side of the revenue part of the conversation you know when we talk about you know unique experiences per listener and that sort of thing that there there is a model there to recover from the lost ad revenue that that James Referenced earlier
1: I would agree, but I don't think that that I don't think you're going to regain your lost revenue model of advertising based on terrestrial broadcasting. I really think that it, one of these big groups could see a big win if they were to really concentrate the idea of localized contextual content that's live that's not terrestrial and see if they can garner audience based specifically on like a Vancouver-based broadcast that is only online and is actually directed at a young audience because a lot of young audiences don't even know what a radio is. Let's let's be real.
0: We've actually started to see this, particularly with all of the talent laid off from the TSN radio format in Vancouver. Most of them have moved online. Yep. You know, how successful they've been from a revenue perspective is a question mark. I really want to have some of them on the podcast in the new year, but we're seeing talent move in that direction, as you alluded to before.
1: If they can create a platform that people are listening to and they can garner enough revenue to pay their mortgage, then that's the win. It doesn't necessarily need to be some multi million dollar operation for it to be a success. If someone was to take like, Sort of like, like let's say the in Vancouver here the the idea the premise that Don Schaefer had with Roundhouse um, the premise was not a bad premise, you know it was as local as it could possibly be, right? But if someone was to tra- transfer that over to a, a strictly online, strictly streaming, and position it well, and bring in talent, it doesn't even need to be talent that people people don't even need to know who they are, as long as they are compelling. If if you're directing it at the right audience within the demo, within the geographical location, you could garner a, a significant audience, probably an audience that, you know, might garner some notice by larger broadcasters, but it becomes a win for anyone because those people that are doing the broadcast, they're the ones in the end who are earning the revenue. It's, it's not there's no there's nothing that necessitates a five-story multi multi 100 million dollar broadcasting facility in downtown vancouver that there's no need for that anymore
0: well i think it culminates in the discussion as to what the value of a broadcast license is these days and actually stingrays raised that in asking you know the crtc to waive 9 million dollars in tangible benefits because of the pre- and post-pandemic perceived value of some of its assets. Do you have any other parting thoughts for the industry, James?
1: For this year, I, or for next year, it's really just, I, I think, for the, especially for the terrestrial uh, audio broadcasters, it's all about podcasts. I really believe that if these groups can double down on podcasting and really make go of unique content in a podcasting platforms, they can garner listeners on other platforms simply by driving good, strong content through podcasting. The paid models for it will come. The advertising revenue will come. It's there. It's just a matter of the, of brands recognizing that, you know, there's value in it. And we can see now that the ad buys on popular podcasts now are seeing that brands understand the niche. They understand the markets. They understand that there's a strong return for them and they're willing to pay. So it's well worth taking all the studio time in any particular station where that studio is just sitting empty and use it for creating new original content for podcast platforms.
0: I have to say, James, it's been a pleasure working with you. It has been rare to encounter someone in my working life who retains their punk rock sensibilities. So that's <laughs>
1: what... <laughs> <laughs> to my detriment.
0: <laughs> that, has, that has been a, a, a huge plus for me personally, but as an aside, yeah. In addition to your digital and interactive and graphic design and agency work, you are also a verified artist on Spotify and everyone should check you out at This Is A Collective. I feel like maybe there's a podcast or some other projects in your future.
1: I'm so trying to concentrate on the music part of things, but it's so time intensive and (laughs) it's hard to do when you have kids running around your house the whole time. But yeah, there'll be more concentration on that in the new year.
2: I look forward to an episode when James explains punk rock sensibilities.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it all comes down to, you know, uh, the great moniker of we don't care what you say. <laughs> you.
2: Words to live by.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I'm a big it's- purveyor. I'm a big purveyor of, of do-it-yourself that DIY kind of attitude of things that I think has been lost in a lot of people and in a lot of business environments and in, in especially in uh, heavy corporate environments. And I understand that it's really hard for people to stray from the norm within a corporate environment, because most of the time you just get shot down. Um, but you know, it is what you make of it. And if you can create the environment you want to create to create what you want to create and you are willing to take the time to learn how to create those things, whatever those things may be, whether it's video or audio or painting or making music or whatever it may be, I discovered along the way, they're all the same. And you know, the path to uh, talking to uh, the board of directors of any particular organization or the path to creating music, is no different it's just a matter of of the tools you're using and what the the end product is but the process along the way is exactly the same and i think a lot of that diy attitude has been lost and it strikes me as very odd especially in the broadcasting industry that that diy attitude has been lost considering the tools at hand in front of your face are free and no at no other point in history do i think we've had uh, an environment where people can create and disseminate their, uh, creations to the world for free. You, there's no cost to you other than your time. You know, I mean, you can create a YouTube channel, you can broadcast live on YouTube and Twitch and all of that. You can create a podcast. It costs nothing, nothing, not even the software costs you any money.
0: I think that's a great note to end on. I think it's still there. It's just in independent media and community radio.
1: Exactly, yeah,
0: yeah. James, your loss—you know, not going to be able to have you on the other end of that Slack chat—is—is is terrifying for me.
1: <laughs> well, that ch- that channel's still open. That's the great yes. part about the internet, you know.
0: Yeah, but I'm I'm looking very forward to what Jeff is going to bring to the table. Thank you so much for doing the year-end podcast.
2: Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. It's uh, it's great to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast
1: Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing
0: about the Canadian media industry, visit us at BroadcastDialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.
2: I'm Matt Cundall, host of the Sound Off podcast